Hear now the reading of God's holy word, Romans six twenty one. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that though we have destroyed ourselves, though the wages that we by nature earn is nothing but death, yet we thank you for your grace that as the prophet said, our help is in thee. And so we pray, O God, looking to your mercy, looking to the free gift in Jesus Christ, that you might guide and direct our thoughts this afternoon in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Last week we looked at verse 22, the fruit unto holiness. We saw how the assurance of grace and salvation is in part based on the inward evidences of the grace of God at work in us. Namely, there it mentions holiness, your fruit unto holiness. And we can be assured that we have life everlasting in the future if we now possess holiness. We saw a rebuke to those who say you cannot have the assurance of grace and salvation, where Paul tells us otherwise by the inspiration of the Spirit here. We saw a consolation from this to delight in the holiness God has worked in us and to meditate on the end of holiness in life eternal. Then we looked in the second place that the life of holiness has its end in life eternal. Life eternal is begun now by a holy life and ends in glorification in the world to come. We saw how Bernard of Clairvaux said, good works are like seeds of hope. They are incentives of love They are signs of hidden predestination, and they are presages of future happiness. They are the way to the kingdom, but not the cause of reigning. We saw the old man and his ways leading to death and destruction, but the new man and his ways leading to life everlasting. The devil uses a form of logic where he says, well, you cannot be justified by holiness and good works, Therefore, they're of no value. We saw that as a false reasoning. God says good works are profitable and good to men, and they bless in many ways their end, their closing act, even being in life eternal. Then we saw an exhortation to perfect holiness in the fear of God, to remember that without holiness, no man shall see the Lord, and to seek to grow in holiness and sanctification not being like Esau, who was a profane person. Now this afternoon, let us consider merit and mercy. From verse 23, merit and mercy. We'll look at this in three parts. First, merit. Second, mercy. And third, mediation. First then, merit. For the wages of sin is death. Here, the word for means he's giving us a further explanation of the points he's made in verses 21 and 22, and even before that, the fruit of shame and death versus the fruit of holiness and life. 
And now he's going to say, here's the reason why that is. Because if you want wages, if you want to be paid, then you will have death. This word wages is very interesting. It refers to meats that are cooked. And specifically, it's an analogy taken from those who go to war. In fact, in Athens, they would use this word to describe any fish that was cooked. Cooked fish, that was the meat. Because when you went off to war, you paid your soldiers, you gave them provisions. You gave them meat that they could take and eat. It later came to be applied to money that you could buy food with. But the basic idea is it's a wage. You're a soldier, you fight in the army, and therefore your master and commander pays you. The Latin Vulgate uses the word stipendia, where we get the word stipend from. It's a set pay that's given out to someone for work that they do. Vincent, in his word studies, says wages from cooked meat and later generally provisions. At Athens, especially fish. Hence, wages is primarily provision money and is used of supplies for an army. The figure of verse 13 is carried out. Sin as a lord to whom they tender weapons and who pays wages. Remember this? Do not present your members as weapons of unrighteousness. So now this military presentation that we talked about in verse 13 is now carried through. Here are the military wages for all the warfare you fought on behalf of unrighteousness. Here's what you get in the end. Death. Turn over to Luke chapter 3 concerning wages. You remember that John became very popular. Many people came to him and wondered, you're talking about repentance. You're telling us we need to bring forth fruit. Well, what is it, John? What is the fruit worthy of repentance? Verse 14. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your what? Your wages, your provision. You fight on behalf of the army, and you might think your provisions aren't enough. What will you then do? Violence, to steal from people. You will take things that don't belong to you. You will accuse people falsely and say, yeah, but I won't bring you to the governor as long as you pay me some money. That's the idea. Don't do these sins, but put on this virtue, which is contentment, with your wages. Be content with such things as you have, with the provision made for you. They were soldiers who got wages. Please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, page 1155. Again, concerning wages. Here the apostle asks, Who goeth a warfare at any time at his own charges? That's the same word. Who pays himself to go fight for somebody else? Well, nobody does. That's what his point is. So therefore, if I'm working for you as an apostle, by the light of nature, you should pay me back. You should pay me for my work. You owe me, in other words. You, I have a debt that uh, I have built up here that you owe to me. You must pay me wages. And Paul said, I'm not taking those, but I have the right to demand them. That's his point. So this is the idea of wages. You can also look at 2 Corinthians 11, 
verses 7 and 8, for the same term. Now, what are the provisions made by this glorious master ungodliness and sin? What does he pay to all of his soldiers for all their hard work and fighting on his behalf? Death. The wages of sin is death. Of that sin. He uses the definite article there. And in the context, it's this personification, remember? Sin has been personified as this Lord, as this king who reigns in chapter 5. And here who rules over slaves or sends them out to do his fighting and his bidding. His servants come and say, can we be paid, master? And sin says, yes, you may be paid, you may die. You may have death. Shedd comments on this idea of sin. He says, sin, unlike holiness, originates solely in the finite will. God does not work in man to will and to do when man transgresses the moral law. Now remember, Paul said God works in us to will and to do what? Of his good pleasure. So when we keep God's commandments, what pleases him? That's God working in us. When we sin, who is it that sins? Just us. Just our will. We choose to do it. Consequently, he says, sin is an absolute demerit or guilt. And its recompense is wages in the strict sense. This is the idea. What do you deserve for your sin? What is the merit of your sin? What wages should you be paid for your sin? Death. Now the word is, you'll notice in our King James Bible, is in italics. The wages of sin, death, is literally how Paul put it. This is called an ellipsis. He leaves out a word. He jumps over the word that you think in your mind should be there. It should be there in the Greek as well as in the English. So our translators supply it to make a good English sentence. That's good. But see, they also tell you, notice, this isn't in the text, the Greek text. The wages of sin, death. Very forceful. It's to jar the mind. That sounds like a pretty bad deal, doesn't it? You go off and you fight in his wars. And this master beats you because you're not obedient enough. And then he entices you and makes you feel guilty for what you've done. But he wants you to do more so you can feel more guilty and have a hotter fire in hell and in your conscience. And then how does he pay you at the end of the week? Death. Now the word eternal is not mentioned. This is a common device in all languages. In Greek, grammatically, it's this. When you have uh, antithesis, one thing and another... Sometimes you'll mention something in one that's not in the other, but it applies to both. So when he says, life everlasting, what should you read in death? Death everlasting. Death of every kind. Death as the curse of God upon sin. Death as being separated from your God. Death as the miseries of this life in your body, in your name, in your goods, in your relations. All sorts of death culminating in eternal death in hell forever. Nice wages, huh? Great job to have, isn't it? No, that's his point. Chapter 5, verse 12 of the book of Romans. 
Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and what? Death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. Why? For that all sinned. All have sinned. Turn over to Galatians chapter 3, please. Page 1175 of your pew Bibles. This is what we deserve. This is merit. Galatians 3, verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now, when it says all those things written in the book of the law to do them, that's describing righteousness. When you don't do that, what do we call that? Sin. You don't do what the law says. You are a sinner. And if you're a sinner, God says you are cursed. When we get to the chapter in the book of Deuteronomy, you'll see, yes, the curse of God comes in your body. It comes in your political circumstances. Our nation, you can tell, is sinful and cursed because of our political circumstances. That's how you can tell. You see the curse of God upon your nation when many nations lend to you and you're the tail and they're the head. Guess what? That means you're cursed. When the foreigner comes in and he rules over you and he tells you what to do and you become his servant and he goes higher and you go lower, guess what? You're cursed. When you have diseases that wipe out your people, when you have blights upon your food, when you have wicked rulers over you, guess what? You're cursed. It's death because of sin. Thomas Aquinas says concerning this death, it is not the end they seek, but the end paid to them. How many wicked people are out there saying, I want death? There might be a couple. You ever seen death metal? They're all into death. But the rest of the people out there are not that crazy, are they? I want life. Oh, the pleasures of this life. And here are your wages, sir. Here are your wages, ma'am. Death, misery, suffering, destruction, eternal fire and flame. On the wicked, he will rain coals of fire and brimstone. A scorching wind will be the portion of their cup. But wait, I thought it was delicious wine. No. No. Scorching wind, fire and brimstone, coals coming down, burning up the flesh forever and ever. Augustine, deservedly did he call it wages. Because everlasting death is awarded as its proper due to diabolical service. Devilish service. You want to serve Satan? You want to follow his will? What did you expect? Did you expect everything to be pleasant and angelic? No. This is the wages of sin. This is the merit that man has to offer to God. He has the merit of sin, which is death. But, oh, praise God for that word. But, it's an adversative conjunction. I'm talking about one thing. Now I want you to think about something else. But, the gift of God. 
This is very different. This is so different from the wages system of sin and death. Now he brings us to this other thought, the free gift. Please turn over to Romans chapter 5, verses 14 through 17 concerning this free gift. Page 1137 of your pew Bibles. Verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come, but not as the offense. So also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God, and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Notice there, the gift of grace. There's the offense which brings death. Then, on the other hand, there is the gift of God's grace abounding unto many. Verse 16, And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one man to condemnation, but the free gift of many offenses unto justification. Adam sinned once, and that was enough to doom us all. We sinned time and again and again and again, and did the justice of our deeds come back to us? No. We had many offenses unto justification. That's the free gift. That's the difference. One, you deserve it. That's death. The other, you do not deserve it. That is mercy. One has merit. That is the covenant of works. One has mercy. That is the covenant of grace. John Chrysostom says the following. After speaking of the wages of sin in the case of blessings, he is not kept to the same order. For he does not say the wages of good deeds, but the gift of God. You see that? The parallel would be this. For the wages of sin is death, but the wages of righteous living is eternal life. That's the context, isn't it? Those good deeds of holiness versus those others of wickedness and sin. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, I've done good. And therefore, my wages are life everlasting. He's saying, God didn't keep to that order. He goes on. For he does not say the wages of good deeds, but the gift of God to show that it was not of themselves that they were freed, nor was it a due they received, neither yet a return nor a recompense of labors, but by grace all these things came about. That's it. It's only by God's grace that we are saved if we want merit. If we want what we deserve, we get death. That's what we earned. And this gift, he says, is of God. The free gift of God. God is the source. That's where it comes from. 
Remember, he's the one who reconciled us to himself by sending his son. He's the one who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God is the, or, the one who is the origin and the agent of all of this. It's the free gift of God. It's all of his will, not of man's. And what is this free gift of God? He says, eternal life. We looked at this last week. You remember the young man and the lawyer, they come to Jesus and say, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? They want a covenant of works. We saw from John 3, where God gives everlasting life to whosoever believeth in his son. We also saw the Jew in Romans 2, seeking for everlasting life through his doing good and keeping the law's demands. We saw Romans 5, verses 20 and 21, concerning the law entering that the offenses might abound, but then sin reigning in man, being overcome by the superabundant grace in Jesus Christ, so that that grace might reign through righteousness unto everlasting life. Now, Augustine says, when it was in his power to say, but the wages of righteousness is eternal life, he yet preferred to say the grace of God is eternal life in order that we may hence understand that God does not call us for any merits of our own, but for his mercy's sake. Whence it is said in the psalm, who crowneth thee in mercy and compassion. Now in the ancient world, A crown was given in two instances. One, when a king ascends up to his throne, often by conquering another kingdom, he is crowned. David received the crown, I think it was of one of the eastern tribes to the east of Israel, so heavy. He put it upon his head. When? After he had destroyed their kingdom and he had become their king. When else? When you would run in competitions or races when you would box or fight as a gladiator, whoever was the winner is crowned. How does God crown us? Well, Augustine says, he cites the scripture from the Psalms, mercy and compassion. That's how we get the crown. God gives us grace, not according to our merit, but according to his mercy, eternal life. We are crowned with that, not because we deserve it, but because God has forgiven us in Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the third point, mediation. Merit, mercy, and mediation. This gift of eternal life, this mercy of God flows to us literally in Christ Jesus. En Christo Jesu, or through Jesus Christ, in union with him, through his mediation. He is the priest, and God uses him as the medium by which all this grace of eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, and the hope everlasting comes to us. He is first called Christ. Let us not forget, this means he is the anointed son of David. He is the priest after the order of Melchizedek. He is the prophet that Moses said would be greater than him. Those were the anointed offices in the Old Testament, the prophet, the priest, and the king. 
When you read that word Christ, don't think of it like your last name. Jesus is his first name. Christ is his last. No. Jesus is his name. Christ refers to his offices, prophet, priest, king. Now, why was the name Jesus given? That is his name. But why? For he would save his people from their sins. That's what he's talking about, isn't it? Life everlasting. That comes in union and through the mediation of Jesus Christ. John Calvin comments, and he adds, in Christ Jesus, and for this reason, that he might call us away from every conceit, respecting our own worthiness. What is our worthiness? Again, merit. What is our merit? What are the wages we deserve? Death. So then we must have Jesus Christ as our mediator, as our priest, as our prophet and king. And also he says, our Lord, our master, our ruler, our king, Jehovah in the flesh, Jesus, his human name, Lord, his divine name, fully God, fully man. This is the mediator in which life everlasting is secured for us. Jesus Christ, the Lord of us. Now remember the end of chapter 5. As sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by whom? Jesus Christ our Lord. He returns to the same theme. He returns to the glory of Jesus Christ, lifts him up on high as our master and as our Lord. Now think back to the original question of Romans 6. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Do you see why the instinct of a holy soul says, God forbid! How is that even possible? Don't let it enter into your mind. He is my Lord. He brings all of these blessings to me. He's the one through whom and in whom I have life eternal. The grace of God, that free gift comes only through him. How could I betray my master? Doctrines and uses from this verse. First, the judgment of God for sin is fully deserved, completely and totally meritorious, or according, as Shedd said, to the order of strict justice. Death is what we deserve. Our confession says, chapter 6, paragraph 6, every sin both original and actual, being a transgression of the righteous law of God and contrary thereunto, doth in its own nature bring guilt upon the sinner, whereby he is bound over to the wrath of God and curse of the law, and so made subject to death with all miseries, spiritual, temporal, and eternal. That's what sin deserves. That's the wages of sin. Eternal death, temporal death, spiritual death, and all the miseries that come along with it. First use of information. These are wages. All forms of death and misery, all sufferings are precisely what we deserve. Second use of rebuke. Have you ever heard of the book, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? 
You know what that assumes? My wages are life everlasting for the good that I've done. But what are the wages of sin? The question is not, why do bad things happen to good people? The question is, why do good things happen to bad people? If my wages and my desert by nature, along with every other son of Adam, if that is death, both spiritual as well as eternal, and also temporal and the curse of God upon the creatures for our sakes, is there any good thing we deserve? Do we deserve one good thing from God? No. We have merited physical, spiritual, eternal, relational, and every other sort of curse and death. Why then do good things happen to bad people? Use three of exhortation. Would you receive better wages? Submit yourself to a better master. Sin promises pleasure and profit, but all it delivers is pain. Do not be deceived. Whatever you sow, you will reap. If you sow sin, you reap the whirlwind, a burning coals of fire coming down upon you. Or... Give yourself up to Jesus Christ. Surrender to his lordship and you reap the gift of God by Jesus Christ, even life everlasting. Second doctrine. This is one of our Reformation slogans. Sola gratia. We are saved by grace alone. First use. The free gift of God is life eternal. Our salvation is by God's mere gift. Ecumenius, a bishop of the, I believe, 5th century in Greece, he says, he does not say the wages of good works, but free gift, showing that not by works, but by grace, we are freed from sin. That's it. There's no merit that enters in, as somehow the saints could merit for us or we could merit for ourselves or we by putting some slogan up on our social media page and say, look, I believe in this slogan. I'm a righteous person. No, the wages of sin is death and therefore God's gift is completely of his grace, not of our deserving by our works or what we have done. This in the second place serves as a rebuke If we would make God's grace contingent on man's will, on man's works, on man's wisdom, man's choice, the holy sacraments of the church, or any other thing, we falter at the very foundation. It is God's free gift. It is not of works. It is not of our deserving. It is not of merit. Not in the least. Because if you bring in 1% merit, and 99% grace, it's no more grace. And if you bring in 99% merit and 1% grace, it's no more works. You can't mix the two. They exclude each other. And so it is only by God's grace. Also of consolation, that it is by grace alone that we are saved, we may then adore the grace of God given to us in Jesus Christ Come and receive this eternal life freely through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Father, though we are to be banished, yet he welcomes us back. Think of the prodigal 
He wants to come back as a servant in his father's house. And he says, no, put the robe upon him. Give him the ring. He is accepted into the household. He is no longer banished. He is received again. This is the gospel in a nutshell. Christ has said and come for our salvation. And he has said that the father sent him to do all these works. He came to give up his life because God told him to. The father said, you lay down your life and he obeyed that command. And so the father welcomes us and we feast at his table. A third doctrine. It is only by grace, solo Christo. Christ is the only mediator between God and man. It is through Christ alone. He merits life for us, not we ourselves. First use of information. Wages we have by our own desert, by our own work, but in eternal life we have all through Christ himself. Peter Martyr comments on this. Here Peter, or excuse me, here Paul inverteth the antithesis or contrary position. For he saith not that eternal life is the reward of righteousness, but rather attributeth unto grace which thing he therefore doth to assign and appoint the whole nature of merit in Christ only. That's the contrast. You see that? Our personal merit is death. Christ's personal merit as our head and mediator is life. All the merit then goes to him for our salvation, whereas all the merit for those who are damned lays at their own feet. And therefore, he goes on, he addeth through Jesus Christ our Lord that no man should imagine any other mediator, whether dead saints or else their own works. There's no one else. There's no other place you can go. No other priest, no other prophet, no other Lord, master, and king than Jesus our Lord himself. So then I exhort you, since Christ is our only mediator, Let us keep our eyes fixed upon his work for us. The blood and the merit of Christ should never depart from our eyes if we desire to be participants in the grace and the free gift of God. Come to Jesus Christ. Come to the water of life freely. Come today. Turn from sin and close with Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus is like an attorney? He's like an advocate. He speaks on behalf of other people. He argues their case and says, this person should be released for these reasons. When you come to God through Jesus Christ, do you think that attorney is going to lose his case? Do you think the judge is going to say, be gone, I'm not listening to your arguments? No, just the opposite. When we sue for peace to God, when we come to him and say, I deserve life everlasting, It means nothing. We deserve death. But when Christ comes and says, I deserve life everlasting, what does the Father say? Amen. You deserve life everlasting in everyone you represent. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, let us then rejoice. He who was so high became so low. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. Why? For his sake? No, for our sake, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
William Plummer. What a wonderful person is Jesus Christ our Lord. By him the worlds were made. By him all things consist. All the angels worship him. All the virgins love him. If our sins are washed away, it is by his blood. If we are accepted, it is in the beloved. If we have sore conflicts here and yet come off as conquerors, it is because his grace is sufficient for us. He is all and in all, the first and the last, the author and the finisher of faith. And thus far the consideration of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord.